Come on, let's give Jesus an ovation of worship. Come on, somebody. Give it up. Let's give him an ovation that only a king is worthy of. Come on. Isn't God good? Has he been good to you? I love that. Man, I love that. I love this moment. Lord, we give it to you. We, we are grateful. You can be seated. What an honor it is to be with each and every one of you. And man, New Spring Church, all of our campuses, all of our locations. And uh, I just love your team. I love your leadership team. I love Pastor Brad. I, I just, I love what God's doing in his life. And I, 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 bro, I, I, honestly, I did my best, man. I, I got new boots for this weekend, like little lace-up, little, little zip-up, little zipper boots. Got me, a little, got me a little jacket. Doing my best to look like an L.L. Bean model like you do every weekend. The chiseled jaw. Can you stop? Because it's making all of us look like idiots. Um, <laughs> you literally could have been a model, but God called you to pastor. Whatever. Um, we're so good with that. No, no, we're good. Um, I, I love this team. Can you give them a great big hand? All the leaders, all the pastors, all the campus pastors. Pastor Brad and Corey, just such a, such a passion for people, and I love that, and I love what God's doing in this church. And here's, here's, what, I told, uh, here's what I told the men, and I just feel like God is calling us. I feel like this, is, I feel like this weekend, and I, I know I'm a new voice here, but uh, I'm just kind of family, so let's go. I, I know I'm a new voice, but I feel like this weekend, God kind of drew a line in the sand and said, we're not going back. God's doing something brand new. And how many of you know when the men step up and lead, it changes the game. And I'm so impressed with the men of New Spring. Can you give them a hand at every campus? I love to watch what they're doing. And, and, uh, and, and here's what I believe. Last, last, last weekend, we finished 21 days of prayer and fasting. Next weekend is Vision Weekend. And God brought this Texas preacher to drop it kind of right here in the middle and encourage you to push forward because there's still some things you have to defeat in your life. You gotta trust that God's able to help you walk through that. So this weekend, I'm gonna preach on this subject, face the giant. Turn to your neighbor and say, face your giant. Turn to your other neighbor and say, face your giant. Maybe your neighbor is your giant. I don't know how your marriage is right now, but if you're gonna, <laughs> if you're gonna face the giant, then, then you, have to, you have to face the giant through prayer. And prayer, is the most powerful weapon in the arsenal of the believer, yet it's also one of the most underused weapons in the arsenal of the believer. And the challenge is sometimes we just don't understand the power of the prayer, the nature of prayer, and sometimes we misunderstand what we ask for and what God's able to do. Here's what Philippians chapter four, verse six says. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is a powerful verse of scripture. Literally take everything to God, every request, every challenge, every issue, every circumstance, every struggle, every relationship, and bring it to God. Notice it says, though, to bring it with thanksgiving. That's the challenge. Because some of our prayer lives sound like this. Oh, God, it's all right. Jesus, please help me. I hate it. Amen. That's not really a prayer. That's like a complaining session. So, so what we want to do is we want to say, God, you're glorified. God, you're able. I trust you. Here's my list of needs. God, I love you. I worship you. I thank you for what you've done. I thank you for what you're going to do. And if you never do another thing for me, you've already done everything that I need. So I just trust you. That's how you're supposed to do it. And then, notice what it says, if you do that, then 
peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Notice what it doesn't say. And God will fix all of your issues. And he'll take care of all your problems. And as a Christian, you won't have any more troubles. It'll be all rosebuds and butterflies. And you'll be frolicking through fields of wildflowers. Kind of pulled a hammy right there, whatever. It doesn't say that. So why is it that we believe that? We believe that if I pray, it's just all going to happen. No, no, no. He doesn't say, I'll guard your situation. He says, I'll guard your heart and your mind. That means you're going to get through this with God. He may not deliver you out of it, but God might crawl up in the big middle of it with you. Don't you know that I'm better in a problem with God than I'm in a problem without God? But if I learn this scripture wrong, then it'll actually create an expectation gap that God never promised to live up to. How many of y'all have a song? Like, let me ask you this question. How many of y'all like to sing? Raise your hand if you like to sing. Just put them up there. It could be shower singing. You just like to sing. How many of y'all can sing? Raise your hand. Some of y'all are lying. It's okay. Um, we love you anyway. God, but you can't sing. Uh, my mama said I can sing. Yeah, mama loud. Um, we like to sing. How many of you have a song that's your jam? Like when you turn it on, you're like, that's my jam. Like, and you're a, <laughs> you're a normal person every other time. But when your song comes on, you're like, ah, you're doing the Mariah Carey hand and everything. Like you do your thing. And have you ever... <laughs> Have you ever been singing your song and in the middle of your song, like you're with somebody, you're like, this is my song, this is my jam, and you're singing it and they're like, that, that, that ain't what the song says. <laughs> and you realize you've been singing the wrong lyrics for years? This happened to me. I wish this wasn't a true story. It's a true story. A few years ago, it's, and it was a Christmas song, like an old standard Christmas song. Like, how do you get this wrong? I don't know, but I did. I was walking around the house. Wife and kids are there, walking around the house singing, walking in a winter wonderland. Later on, we'll perspire as we dream by the fire. Makes sense though, right? You perspire by the fire. I get close to the fire. Somebody puts a blanket on me. I'm like, nah, nah, nah. I perspire by the fire. That makes sense. My wife was like, that ain't what it says. I was like, well, whatever it says, it should say perspire. Because it rhymes and it makes sense. She said, no, it's conspire. Later on, we'll conspire as we dream by the fire. And I acted like I knew what that meant, but I didn't. So I had to go look it up. And I looked it up. I wrote it down for y'all. Here's what conspire means. It means to make secret plans jointly to commit an unlawful or harmful act. As in they conspired against him. What kind of godforsaken Christmas song is this? Later on, we'll dream of horrible things we can do to you. <laughs> Merry Christmas. I mean, that's weird. By the way, I, I am really a pastor. <laughs> the real preachers will be back next weekend. By the way, if you've never been to New Spring, you owe it to yourself to come back and hear a team of some of the greatest communicators that you will ever hear. Let's give our communicators a great big hand. Love them. But listen, if you, listen, if you, if you, listen, I, my version makes more sense. You perspire by the fire. Am I right? Come on. It makes more sense. But I can go on a tour trying to change it, even though mine makes more sense. But that's not what the author's intent was. And sometimes you'll think that your interpretation makes more sense. But if you learn it wrong, you'll live it wrong, and you'll ask God for something that he never promised to give you. And sometimes believers will just propagate things that aren't true, that aren't even in the word. Context is king. I want to get in this word and I want to rightly divide this word and I want to build my life around this word and not this word around my life. 
How many of y'all ever had somebody say, oh, God loves you. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. And that's true. But didn't they say, and he'll never put on you anything more than you can bear. He loves you. He's never going to give you more than you can carry. God won't load you up with something you can't handle. They give you a little magnet, a little meme. Some dude carrying something and God carrying him. The 70s weird bearded Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? Like the scary Jesus with the crazy eyes. But if you read this word in 1 Corinthians, it, it never says he'll never put on you more than you can bear. That's not what the book says. It's in the context of temptation. It says he'll never allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear, but will provide a way of escape. This is talking about temptation, not life. Well, I thought God would never give me more than I can carry. Read the book. I thought he'd never give me more than I could handle. The apostle Paul lost his head. That was more than he could handle. <laughs> A little crass. Sorry about that, Paul. Um, but it's true. Even Jesus, if you, read it, if you read it in the book of John, even Jesus said, John 16, 33 says, listen, a lot of bad stuff's gonna happen. It's gonna be hard. He said, but I've told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, period. How many of y'all love the promises of God? I love the promises of God. The Bible says they are yes and amen. That's a promise from God. In this world, you'll have trouble. Oh, thank you, Lord, for that wonderful promise. no. Nobody's celebrating over that promise. Nobody's making bracelets. Like, hey, guys, on the way out, pick up your, uh, in this world you'll have trouble and life will be horrible bracelets on your way out. Have a great weekend, New Spring. God bless you. No. Nobody puts that one over the, over the dining room table with a picture of an eagle. In this world you'll have trouble. No. Does it say that? It's literally, you're going to have problems. You're going to have hard times. But Jesus said, but take heart. I've overcome the world. What is he saying? Yes, you're gonna have trouble and no, you're not gonna get out of all of it, but I will be with you. But if you interpret it wrong, then you'll expect him to do something he didn't say he would do. And the enemy knows this and you'll set yourself up and you'll give the giants in your life power. And now I'm facing more giants than I should be facing, the giants of fear and doubt and depression and anxiety and failure and all of these giants in my life because I've given them power over the word by misinterpreting what it says. This is crucially important. Here's what I want you to understand. Your breakthrough begins in your mind before it shows up in your mess. This is why the enemy fights you constantly in your mind. And people live with constant fear. How many, let me ask this question. How many of y'all were afraid of the dark when you were a kid? Raise your hand, you were afraid of the dark. How many of y'all still afraid of the dark? Just keep them up. Come on, look at the honest people. Come on, God bless you. Some of y'all put your hands down knowing you were a liar. But welcome to church. We're glad you're here. There's all kind of fears. I looked up a bunch of different fears, and they're awesome. <laughs> um, this one is called ablutophobia. That's the fear of washing or bathing. Some of y'all have that. Y'all raised your hands in worship. People are like, put your hand down. We'll baptize you today, throw a bar of soap in there and get it done. Um, <laughs> then there's allodoxophobia. Husbands, listen up. That's the fear of opinions. You need to memorize that one. Next time she's like, well, I think. You're like, ah, oh, I'm scared. That's what I have. I have allodoxophobia. If you do that, let me know. I want to know how it works. <laughs> then this one's <laughs> cathisophobia. That's the fear of sitting down. Like, oh, I'm so tired. Oh, God, I mean, like, it's weird. This is my favorite one. I told him, put it on the screens. Sesquipetalophobia. That's the fear of long words. 
<laughs> that dude's a jerk. Whoever came up with that, that's... <laughs> Most of us, we're laughing at these because we don't have these, right? But we do deal with the fear of loss. Like, what if I lose my marriage or my finances or something happens to my kids? Or what if I lose my passion or my chance or my youth or my identity? Or maybe you're dealing with the fear of failure. And it's the reason why you won't start a new business or expand your current business or go back to school because I'm just afraid that it's not gonna work out. Or maybe it's the fear of rejection. We see this one in a lot of people. I'm, I'm just afraid that, that if I go for it, that I'll be rejected, I'll deal with abandonment. That's why a lot of us don't go to groups because we're afraid that it'll be weird and nobody will accept us and that's the enemy trying to keep you out of it. This fear of rejection. It, it, do you realize it's the reason why some people don't even go on dates ever? Where's all the single people at? Raise your hand. Single people, every location. Raise your hand. Look around. Hold them up high. This is what you're working with. Look around. Look around. We got a whole bunch of campuses. Just go on a campus tour. Check the crop at every tour. I probably shouldn't have said that, but it is what it is. Listen, single people, let me help you right now. Um, the, the, uh, the new generation has a problem because they don't know how to have game. You gotta have game, folks. Like back in the day, we, like we had to learn how to talk. We couldn't stalk somebody on social media because there was no social media. We actually had to be social, hello. We didn't have Snapchat, we had to really chat. And your boy was raised in church, so I had to have church girl game. And church girl game is totally different. Like you walk up, you gotta look at it, and you go, you must be faith. Cause you the substance of things I've been hoping for, girl. Hey, 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 I've been reading the book of Numbers and I noticed yours wasn't in here. Can you write it right there in my box? Some of y'all never take notes. You're like, oh, that's good. I'm gonna write that down. That's... <laughs> as ridiculous as that is, literally it's the reason why some people don't talk to people because this fear of rejection. Do you realize the fear of rejection can actually chase you into your marriage? And because of your fear of rejection, you actually reject your spouse and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because you're afraid they'll reject you so you accidentally reject them. This thing's real. And then maybe some of you deal with the fear of the unknown. Probably all of us deal with that. What if I get sick with a serious illness? What if, what if something happens to somebody I love? There are things that are completely out of your control. I want you to notice how our brains are working now. A while ago, we were naming all the dumb fears and we were like, I don't have that, I don't have that. And listen, the last four, you're like, yep, 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 I got them all. Here's what I want you to understand. If your life is guided by fear, very clear scripture, you need to write this down. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So if you're living your life filled with fear, here's what I want you to know. God didn't give you that, and you can attack that giant this weekend, and you can come across alive and victorious, trusting that God is able. Listen, you're gonna have giants in your life, and at some point you gotta face them. The greatest story dealing with giants in the scripture is obviously David and Goliath. The backstory is Israel needs a new king. Um, the prophet goes to the home of Jesse, and Jesse is David's father, and the prophet says the next king is gonna come out of this home, and so he trots out all of his sons with the exception of David, he says, which one is it? And God says, I've rejected all of these, even though they look strong and they look tough and they look like they've got it all together. The Lord doesn't look at the outside, he looks at the heart. And the prophet looks at the dad and says, hey, is there any other sons? He goes, oh yeah, David. And it's not like he forgot about him. He remembered him and wrote him off. And that's where some of you have been. 
You've been written off and rejected by somebody. And here's what I want you to understand. You may be exactly who God is looking for. So don't write yourself off just because somebody else in your life has written you off. And when David walks in, David's like, hey, guys, what's going on? I've just been out in the field watching the sheep. And they're like, boom, pour oil on him. You're the next king. He's like, that's awesome. And then he goes straight back out and keeps watching the sheep. Because sometimes there's a little bit of distance between your anointing and appointing. And that's where God grows you. And if you just have a desire to be known, then God will kind of separate you and let you be alone for a little while so that you can learn to trust him. And this is where David is, man. And, and his brothers, meanwhile, are on the front lines of a new battle. And there's a giant in the valley. And he's screaming. And he's got this plan. This huge guy. And he's screaming for one man. Send me one man. Send me a man to fight. See, apparently he was Scottish, but whatever. <laughs> and if, if I defeat him, you will become our slaves. I am the real preacher this weekend, guys. It's true. <laughs> but if he defeats me, we will become your slaves and that will never happen. <laughs> Fight for freedom. I don't know. That's weird. And they're scared to death, shaking in their shoes, warriors scared to death. And here comes David. His dad says, hey, Dave, I need you to take some Chick-fil-A to your brothers, deliver it, they're hungry. So Dave goes, he's bringing, not really Chick-fil-A, but you know what I'm talking about. He brings it, brings it to his brothers. And his brothers immediately are like, what are you doing here? Have you, have you ever thought that the people around you would support you and realize that they're the ones who are kind of against you? And you get frustrated because the people around you are against you? Listen, can I tell you something? Sometimes God allows your brothers and your sisters to create friction in your life because if you can't overcome some negativity from people who love you, you'll never stay standing in a battle with the enemy who hates you. It is the iron that sharpens iron. I need people around me sometimes to challenge and question me. David's brothers look at him like, what are you doing here, bro? Why are you here? Don't you know there's some sheep back there that... Well, who's watching the sheep? I literally hear them right now. They're saying, David, come back. I can hear them. It's dumb. It's ridiculous. And David's not, do you realize David doesn't get offended by this? Some of us need to choose who offends us. He didn't allow his brothers to offend him. Some of us have allowed brothers and sisters in ministry, brothers and sisters in our church, brothers and sisters in our lives to offend us away from the thing that God is bringing us. Do you realize if he'd have stayed focused on what his brothers were doing, he would have gone back to his father's house and never become who he was supposed to be, who he was supposed to become, but he was offended by the giant. In fact, when the giant was screaming and railing against the people of God, David screams back. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he would rage against the armies of God? David, language. That's going to be in the Bible. But if you, if you understand what he was saying, it wasn't just a taunt. He was scripturally saying, according to the law, this man has no authority to speak against the people of God, so we don't have any obligation to listen to what he's saying. Some of us are listening to voices and giants in our lives that don't even have any authority to speak. And I'll, Thank you. And at some point, you've got to learn, I've got to boldly go and fight the enemy, and we know the end of the story, he does. He defeats the giant, declares a victory. 
and God uses him to become great. So here's my question, what is your giant? Bills that you can't pay, grades that you can't make, relationships that you can't make work, a past you can't outrun, a future you don't understand. I don't know what your giant is, but I know that you have a God who's with you. You've got to learn how to pray and trust him. Another thing that you have to learn how to do is you have to learn, if you're taking notes, write it down. You have to learn how to convert your fear into faith. I heard somebody say one time that fear is the opposite of faith, as a preacher, and faith is the opposite of fear. When you're walking in faith, you don't have to be afraid. Hallelujah. I was like, so good, so wrong. <laughs> fear is not the opposite of faith. Certainty is the opposite of faith. Because if I'm certain that something's going to happen, I don't have to have any faith. Fear and faith are companions. I've never done anything great for God that I wasn't scared to death doing. When we launched our church five years ago, I had no idea what God was going to do. All I had was a dream in my heart, a really solid team, trusting that God was able. And in the last five years, we've seen 38,000 people give their lives to Jesus. Don't tell me that he can't take that fear. If you learn how to convert it into faith, to God be the glory. But you've got to listen. Heroes and cowards both have fear. Heroes just learn how to turn it into faith. Look, all you have to do, look no further than David's brothers and David. They look like warriors, they act like warriors, they talk like warriors, they sound like warriors. They didn't even know how to fight like warriors, but they hide like cowards. David looks like a shepherd, acts like a shepherd, walks like a shepherd, got a staff like a shepherd, smells like a shepherd, but he fights like a king. Why? Because he's been in a secret place on his knees converting fear to faith through prayer. I'm so grateful that we have a church here at New Spring that knows how to pray. I'm so grateful that we went through 21 days of prayer and fasting. And here's what I'm going to tell you right now. Buckle your seatbelt because God's getting ready to do something at every location. He's stirring the water in South Carolina. In Georgia, North Carolina, I don't know where all you guys are. You're taking over the world. It's weird. <laughs> Next thing you got to do if you're taking notes is write this down. You simply have to learn how to change your perspective. I've got to change my perspective. I've got to stop looking at things the way that I'm looking at things. Listen, can I, can I just talk to those of you who maybe you've been hurt in church somewhere. Maybe you, you've walked through some pain somewhere in your life. Maybe, maybe you just made your way to New Spring. Or maybe you've been in New Spring for a little while and you're like, look, I just need to, I just got to rest for a minute. And that's okay. Take a minute. But at some point you got to get on the field. You've you got to get in the game. You've got to get out of the bleachers. Some of us have sat for too long, and you say, but you don't understand, I'm hurt. The worst thing you can do is nothing whenever you've gone through some pain in your life. The greatest thing you can do is go through our Connect class at all of our campuses. We have them today. Go through our Connect classes, get in a group, get on the team, and serve somebody other than yourself. Nothing gives you perspective like serving somebody who's in more pain than you. And you'll realize that even in, the, even in the midst of pain, God can still use you. But you don't understand, I'm a mistake waiting to happen. God loves those. He's got a whole book full of stories filled with people who were mistakes waiting to happen, but just understood that, okay, God can use me in spite of my mistakes. That's what grace is for, baby. God's called you, but you got to change your perspective. you got to actually live the faith that we speak. How many of you know somebody like super churchy people? This is always like, oh, God is good all the time and all the time. Come on, Christians. How you doing? Oh, I'm blessed and highly favored. Head and not the tail. First and not the last. 
Too blessed to be distressed, too anointed to be disjointed and disappointed. God doesn't answer email, he answers email. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Hallelujah. And then they go through some pain and they're like, why, God, why? Here's why. Because, because they're saying one thing but doing something different. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Brad, can you come up here and help me real quick? Y'all give Brad a great big hand as he bounds onto the stage. Thanks, bro. Can you just hold this mic for me for just a minute? I want to show you something, a little, little, little break here in the sermon. I want everybody to hold your hands out like this, a little exercise. Hold your hands out like this, all of our locations, and then I want you to cross your hands over, and I want you to interlace your fingers. Interlace your fingers like that right there, okay? Look at your neighbor, make sure they've got it done right. And then on the count of three, here's what we're going to do. Listen, you're not going to turn your hands inside out. We're going to flip them over, okay? You ready? One, two, three. Boom. Thumbs up. Nope. Okay. I'm a communicator. Let's try that again. All right, shake them out. Shake them out. All right, thumbs down. Interlace your fingers. Good job. Yes. Look at your neighbor. Make sure they have it right. Okay, then on the count of three, we're just going to flip them over. One, two, three. Anybody? Anybody see it? Did anybody see it? Okay, a couple of y'all. All right, stop it. It's physically impossible to do it. Some of y'all are like, man, I don't know. How'd you do it? I'm... You're going to break your wrist, sir, okay? <laughs> Here's what I did. I told you to do this, and then on the count of three, I just did this. One, two, three. Very clever. Some of y'all still don't get it. It's okay. God loves people with a low IQ. You can still go to heaven. Amen? Isn't that cool? <laughs> Here's what was happening. I was saying one thing and doing something totally different. And this is what some of us do. We say that we trust God, but we don't pray like we trust God. We talk about it, but we actually don't live it out. Here's what the Bible says, Colossians 2 and 7. Let your roots grow down into him, not into the news, not into what people are saying today, not into what's happening in the community. Let your roots grow down in him and let your lives be built on him. I'm grateful that we have a church at New Spring, all of our locations that said, you know what? We're not gonna just look at what's happening around the world. We're gonna let our roots grow down into him. And it's why you're seeing what you're seeing right now. It's a spiritual revival. It says, then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you'll overflow with thankfulness. If you're not living a thankful life, check your roots. If you don't like the fruit, go back to the root. At some point when you shift your perspective and you begin to look at life differently, we call this maturity. How many of you have, how many of you have kids? You raise kids? And your kids ask you dumb questions sometimes and, and you try to teach them and you try to help them. And then there are those questions that they just, they just makes you laugh. I have a lot of kids and I remember when my oldest daughter came to me, she was like, Dad, she was like 12. She was like, Dad, all my friends have an allowance. Can I get an allowance? And I was like, <laughs> all right. I said, you already have an allowance. She was like, what? I said, I allow you to live in my house. <laughs> she was like, well, what am I trying to tell you? I'm not mad at you if you give your kids an allowance. It's just not teaching them how the world works. I want them to grow and mature and understand that I, a workman is worthy, so I have to actually work to be worthy of something. Because nobody's going to just hand you something. So I want them to learn. There are some of us who, who have this spiritual maturity of a toddler. And at some point, we got to get this book. We got to eat this word. We got to build our life around this word and trust that God's word is real. And we've got to learn how to walk by it and live by it. And it means we're going to have to face some giants. You're going to have to deal with some pain. You're going to have to deal with some heartache. You've got to have a fresh perspective. All you got to do is look at the story of David and you find perspective. His perspective is totally different than his brother's. <laughs> David is smaller than the giant. Check. 
it's, it's real. That's a real thing. But is he? Because his God is bigger than the giant. Can, can, I, can I tell you this? Feelings are real, but they aren't always true. Just because you feel a certain way doesn't mean that's true. Let me ask you a question, and I want you to answer back. You can answer back at every campus. What does it feel like to be wrong? Anybody? Just say it out loud. What does it feel like to be wrong? Bad, gross, okay, angry. All right, those are, that was one lady with four answers. Listen, <laughs> listen, those are all good answers. They're just not right answers. Here's what it feels like to be wrong. It feels right. You describe what it feels like to find out you're wrong. But when, but when you are wrong, you boldly go forward like you're right until you realize you are wrong. And some of us have been declaring defeat over our marriages and over our relationships and over our futures and over our destinies. And God is saying, that ain't the story that I wrote. You're, you're redeemed. You're more than a conqueror. You're an overcomer. So at some point, stop believing the feelings that you feel and build your life on the word. Yes, David is lonely, but he's not alone. If God is for me, who can be against me? Yeah, there's a giant in front of me, but the God on the inside of me is is bigger than the giant in front of me. The Bible clearly says in Deuteronomy that God himself goes before me. In Psalms it says goodness and mercy follow me. So guess what? I'm surrounded. I'm never by myself. God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all I ask or think. How? According to the power that's at work in me. God's on the inside of you. Why, why are you screaming and hollering so much and spitting and sputtering up there? Sorry, you guys are in the splash zone. God bless you. You don't have to be as passionate as me, but you do have to believe that God can do anything. That's what will give you the strength to face the giant. If God is for us, who can be against us? At some, at some point, you got to fight. I was raised in gospel church, like full on, like we had church church. We'd never, we would never have theater seats in our church ever. We were way too sacrilegious. We had pews. We had pews. Anybody grew up with pews? You grew up with pews? Oh, come on, somebody, look at y'all. How many of y'all, listen, I'm gonna tell you right now, we didn't have a little hour and 20-minute service. Oh, that was the intro to the service. We had two-hour church, at least two hours just to, get the, just to get started. In fact, as a kid, we would have four-hour church, and your boy could get a two-hour nap under the front pew and still get plenty of word in for my week. Come on, somebody. And I remember one time I was sleeping under the pew. Anybody ever sleep under the pew as a kid? God bless you. That's a scary church is how you were raised. So I was under the front pew. I was, I was about seven years old, and there was this dude, Pastor. He's sitting on the front row, and he's one of those guys who gets excited in church. You ever have one of those guys that just get excited? They talk all the time. Hey, man. Hey, man. Amanda. That's not even a man. You said Amanda. Who is that? Amanda. And every time he would get excited, he would kick his foot. He was just like. I don't know what that was, but he was doing a little thing. Just, and when he would kick his foot, he would kick me right in the head. And I started praying. I was like, right now, in the name of Jesus, Lord, silence him, God, right now. Just paralyze his leg, Lord, right now. Let your brother sleep in peace. And finally, I got mad. I was like, I'm going to do something, because at some point, you got to do something. So I looked down, and I noticed that his shoelaces they were disunified, and Jesus prayed multiple times for unity and said, Lord, these shoelaces are outside of your will. And so 
I began to meticulously tie them. I was a preacher's kid. I began to meticulously tie them together. My dad was up preaching. I tied his shoes together. And, and the next point, I don't know what my dad said, but when he said something good, this dude didn't just kick his foot back. He was going to stand up and give an amanda. And when he stood up to give an amanda, he gave an amanda. Boom. And he hit the ground. I told y'all when I was raised in the gospel church, though, they thought he fell out. <laughs> He was like, let me go. They were like, let him go, Lord. He's like, now release me. Release him, Jesus. He turned around. He started punching me. My, my dad stops the service. He's like, what's going on, Dad? Stop hitting that boy. And then the guy's like, we need to tie my shoes together, man. And then my dad realized what happened. He said, get out from under that pew, son. Get up here on the stage. I was like, huh. He made me sit on the little short pew. You remember, you remember how you raised it? They had the two throne chairs that you had to be anointed to sit in and then a little short pew. He made me sit on the short pew and he looked at me, he goes, I'll take care of you when we get home. I looked up that word care. That ain't the same definition as what he used. I was scared of Care Bears for years after that. He just, here, here's what I want you to understand. At some point you gotta do something. You gotta fight the thing that's coming against you. And if you mess up and if you do it wrong, can I tell you this? Yes, my father punished me, but I never stopped being his son. And so at some point, you gotta move forward and realize that God will help you. He'll walk you through it, but he'll still be there even in the midst of your pain, even in the midst of your struggle, even in the midst of your mistakes. He loves you. He's able to turn around everything you're dealing with right now. Everything you're dealing with right now. He's able to walk into the middle of it and give you peace in the midst of pain, strength in the midst of struggle. But you got to believe that he's able and he can. At some point, you got to realize that God on the inside of you is greater than the giant in front of you. Well, how do I do that? The word gives us a formula. Psalm 37 and 4. Delight yourself also in the Lord. That word delight literally means to be soft and pliable. If you, if you go a little deeper, it, it means to wrap yourself in. So wrap yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Now, I'm not preaching this as a, as a prosperity sermon. There are some people have used it out of context and said, God will give you whatever you want if you'll just trust him with your life. That's not what that says. It says, if I wrap myself in the Lord's will, he'll give me the desires of my heart. Study it. In the original language, it literally means to bestow upon. What does that mean? That means he's not going to give you the desires of your heart and whatever you want. That means he's literally going to give you new desires. And you won't want the same things that you used to want. So if I'm unhappy all the time and I start delighting myself in the Lord and trusting God, he changes the direction of my heart and what I want. And now I hunger for holiness and I want things of righteousness and I want to chase after the will of God. Why did David do so many great things? He was a man after God's own heart. What does that mean? He was a man after God's heart. So there's three things I'll leave you with this weekend. Three things I want you to do. Here's your next steps. Number one, we just came off of 21 days of prayer and fasting. Pray, pray. Prayer connects you to God. Pray. But let me, let me, show, you, let me show you something real quick. Brad, can you just hand those to me real quick? Let me ask you a question. Which one of these is alive? This one or this one? They're both dead. This one just doesn't know it yet. Why? Because it's disconnected. It's weird how this one gets judgy sometimes. Like, <laughs> look at you. You've wilted. And if you're not praying and if you're not connected, this will be you too. And this could be you at some point. 
but aren't you grateful that we serve a God who makes all things new? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray, but I also want you to get in a group. Get in a group. Get connected in a group. Then, then here's the second thing I want you to do. I want you to move forward in faith. This week, move forward in faith. What does that mean? And just take, just take the next step. This week, next step for you is go through our Connect classes. Go through our Connect. Just move forward in faith. Just take whatever the next step. Maybe your marriage is in a bind. Guess what? New Spring has a marriage conference coming up. What's the next step? Sign up for the marriage conference. Sign your spouse up for the marriage conference. Say, hey, we need to go to this. I really want, I want us to go. What is that? That's just moving forward in faith. Well, you don't understand how bad it is. That's okay. You don't understand how good he is. He's able. You keep making mistakes. He keeps making mercy. My Bible says his mercies are new. Every morning, great is thy faithfulness. Move forward. And finally, here's what I want you to do. Simple step. Trust God. Trust God. Trust God you don't understand I've lost all hope that's okay I can be in a hopeless situation and still have trust but you don't understand I don't have any faith that's okay you don't have to have any faith to have trust faith can be lost trust has to be broken and he'll never break your trust well it's easy for you to say you don't understand what I'm going through you don't understand the pain that I've been in but you don't understand the pain that I've been in to be able to stand on this stage I've walked through a lot of heartache and a lot of pain a lot of challenges I remember when I met my wife, I liked her a lot right in the beginning. Like, I was like, whoa. And she was like, no. <laughs> I had, she made me work hard. I had to work hard. But um, we knew each other for nine months, and then we got married. That ain't smart. Take your time. I had no idea until after we were married that her very first memory in life was of being molested by a family member at the age of four. It shaped a life of abuse and pain and heartache and shame and guilt. And she attracted abuser after abuser after abuser. Every man in her life rejected her in some way or another. Abuse existed in every relationship. I came from a whole and healthy family. She came from brokenness. And when we got married, abuse began on our honeymoon. It had existed in every relationship. And here it was in her marriage as well. Except for this time, it didn't come from the man. The abused became the abuser. I didn't know how to handle it. I come from a family of cowboys. You don't put your hands on a woman. What do you do when the woman that you love dearly punches you in the face? How, how do you respond? I didn't know how to respond. I know what it, I know what it is to wear makeup around town to my office so that People wouldn't ask about bruises and scrapes. I know what it is to wear long sleeves in the summer so that somebody doesn't say, hey, how'd that happen? I know what it feels like to be attacked. I didn't know how to handle it. So I'd love to tell you that I handled it awesome. I didn't. In fact, I didn't hit her back. I just did what every other man in her life had done. I just did it in a different way. I rejected her. I set an expectation for her and when she didn't reach it. I said, there's no way you'll ever be good enough. I loved her. She loved me. We just didn't like each other. There was no infidelity. We just didn't know what to do. And I'll never forget the day that my wife walked out. We had two kids within two years, which put a lot of strain on our marriage. She walked out, she looked at me, she said, you'll never see your kids again. Thank God I did. But we were separated for a long time, not just a few weeks. We were separated for two years. 
27 months, we passed the kids back and forth. Everybody had an opinion, especially the church people. I didn't know how to handle it, so I began to pray. I gave my life to Jesus when I was five. I didn't really need him until I was 25. And I met him on an old linoleum gym floor of an old church where I pounded out a relationship with God. I had lost all hope. I had lost faith, but I had trust that God was able. Here's what I did not know. My wife, during that time, had got a hold of a relationship with God. And God began to reshape her. God began to change her. She began to speak in faith. It was weird. I didn't know how to handle it. People would say, hey, how's your marriage? I would say, it's terrible. It's broken apart. Things are horrible. And they'd say, well, we just saw your wife. And she said, it's amazing. And God's healing you. I'd say, she's also manipulative and a liar. <laughs> I didn't know that God was working on the inside of her. And she was believing for things that were not and claiming them as though they were. She began to fight the battle of the mind. She began to pray. She began to fast. I began to pray. I began to fast. We began to get connected to our respective churches. And I'll never forget the day that she knocked on my office door with tears streaming down her face. And she said, I don't want to be this way anymore. I love you. And I said, I love you too. And here's what I began to understand. What she was doing was not who she was. It was just what had happened to her. She was redeemed. She was made new. We've been married 20 years. Got five kids. Don't tell me God can't take something broken and make it beautiful if you trust him with your life and face the giant. God is able to strengthen you and the God on the inside of you is greater than the giant in front of you. And he's strengthening you, New Spring. Let me tell you this. Everybody stand at every location. This weekend changes everything. This changes everything. The men of this church stood up this weekend and said, we will not go quietly into this dark night. We will fight for our families. We will fight for our churches. We will fight for our cities. And God will give you victory, men, as you stand up. You're not going to be perfect. You're a mistake waiting to happen. But this book is filled with them. And God loves to use people who are not able, but people who are available. How many of you want to be available to what God wants to do right now? I want to pray for you. And then our campus pastors will come. And they'll help you. Walk into your relationship with God. Let me pray for you right now. Lord, I pray for each and every person under the sound of my voice. I pray for those who are struggling, those who are fighting, those who are broken, those who are destroyed, those who are hopeless. I pray that you would remind them that when they're in a storm, you are there too. When they're in a lion's den, you are there too. When they're in a fiery furnace, you are there too. And the enemy plays a dangerous game. The enemy knows that God is in their situation. He's just waiting to see if they know. This weekend, we know that God is with us. And he's never left us. And he's able to heal us, to change us. And we are ready to take the next step. God, help us face the giant. And we will give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give him an ovation of worship.